Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. How are you doing? I am having fun. I'm having fun with these conversations. I'm hearing you guys are loving it. So here we are, and I'm also incorporating some deep dives into the show. So, but for today, I am bringing back somebody who's near and dear to my heart. He's actually been on the show back, I think it was 2009. So we'll put a link in the show notes. And it's a former athlete of mine, Mark Barr. And he is a badass. Let's just put it there. He's a badass. He was this great athlete growing up as a kid. I've known him, I think, since he was about six years old. And he did lots of different sports. And when he was a teenager, he wound up losing his part of his leg to cancer he made a decision that he wanted to continue to do athletics. He didn't let it stop him. And he's always overcome so many obstacles and he's had quite the incredible journey, but from being, you know, an age group swimmer to, you know, being nationally ranked as an age group swimmer to playing baseball and soccer and doing lots of sports and running around and then losing his leg and coming back and swimming and competing for the United States in 2004 in Greece for the Paralympic team. And then in 2008 in Beijing, and then he retired and then he came back to do triathlons because why not? (laughs) And so he went to Rio in 2016 and I wanted to talk with him because he's such a great, like to be able to get into his mind about his mindset and how he achieves things and how he overcomes stuff. And he keeps going. And, you know, I talk a lot on the show about we fall down and get back up and how that's so important. And some of us we fall down and we think that that's the end for us. And we forget that we get to rise back up and tomorrow can be a new day. And that's why stories like Mark are so important for us to hear of like, how do we overcome the obstacles so that we can rise again? And yes, there are going to be obstacles. And I know we really get sold a lot of, oh, (laughs) you know, if you just do it all right, if you do it perfectly, if you have your plan, then there won't be any problems. There's always going to be obstacles but how are you going to overcome it? So please welcome Mark Barr to return to the show where we talk about the last few years and then moving forward in COVID and how he's pivoted through COVID. Mark Barr, barman. Hello and welcome back to my show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yes. So I'm really excited to talk to you. We're going to talk about COVID and plans changing and I mean, your plans changed actually before even COVID. So we're going to talk about that. And I'll be having links to your interview from, I think it was like 2009 in the show notes. So people can hear that backstory, but let's talk about 2019 and you were training. Let's, why don't you give the audience an idea of what you're training for in 2019? So 2018 was my big year. So 2018 was the year I went undefeated and then did world championships in Australia and won. And then that kind of the triathlon season never really ends. It's kind of continuous. So that one year goes into another and the world rankings are, it's never ending. Like you have to keep your world ranking up. So. Okay. And then, so then it was August, 2019 that you got the bad news for Tokyo. So, no, that actually, that came out literally four weeks before world championships in 2018. So they kind of had hit us with that. And it's, it, it's interesting you brought that up because it's, 
been a roller coaster with the information they've given us about the rankings. So originally they came out and they're like, PTS2, which I am above the knee amputees, are not selected as a category for the Tokyo 2020 Games. And then everyone put up a stink and was like, well, that's not fair. You're not even giving us a chance. And they kind of took a step back over the next six months. I think in 2019, they finally came out and they were saying, well, actually, we looked at the world rankings, we looked at the times, and we compared the below-the-knee amputees, which is a category that's in for Tokyo 2020, to the above-the-knee amputees, which is my category. And they said, really, if you race and you took your times for the above-the-knee amputees and you stacked them against the below-the-knees, you still would be top seven in the world. And they take top 10 in the world. So they said, there's an outside chance that you could make it, knowing it's an unfair category. They said, we're still going to keep the door open for you because we don't want to close it completely. But it was just a matter of, is that a realistic opportunity for me to train and do all the necessary things, put my life on hold for two years to train all out for Tokyo, being an above the amputee. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you corrected me because when you get to be my age, all the years start to blend together. So I'm glad we got that clarified. So in 2016, you went to Rio. You were also a full-time nurse. And how many hours a week were you training? Three months before Rio, I went part-time. And I was only working two days a week, which is still two 12-hour shifts. So it's 24 hours. Just so that I could focus and get in a solid 18 hours a week of training between swim, bike, and run. So like a majority of that was like eight to 10 hours of biking, two to three hours of running, and then four to six hours of swimming depending on what the week was and then mixing and strength training on top of that. But that was only for three months. You think about when people are training for these quadrennials for these you know, four years, it, it's typically not just the last three months, right? Where they're like, okay, I'm going to hunker down. I mean, you, you still, even when you're working full time, you're still training at just a high capacity all the time. So I've always respected your dedication and your discipline. And I remember you posted something on, I think it was probably Facebook and it was a Saturday night, you just finished your shift. And then there you were, you know, going and getting your swimming in when most people just want to go home and probably go to bed or just zone out and watch some television. But there you were getting your training in. Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely a lifestyle. And so you got to love it. You got to be passionate about it to make it work. Because there's a lot of times when you are just dead tired after, I mean, some of the worst swim practices I've ever had or after a 12 hour shift, staying on your feet, running around, it turns into a 13 or 14 hour shift. And you have to go straight from the from work to the pool and get in, you're just exhausted, like mentally, physically, with whatever happened at work. But at the same time, after I get out of the pool, as it is every single time I get out, out of the pool, it's the greatest decision you ever made because it's just like mental clarity and, you know, you get all the endorphins and everything. So, yeah, it's an addiction. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'll never forget. I don't remember how old you were, maybe like nine years old. And we're at Woodland Pool. It's like in the summer. It's 530 in the morning. And there you were and you know your buddies and you guys were like Corinne we you just, none of you wanted to get in at 5 30 in the morning <laughs> no it's funny you bring that up because like now that I'm swimming masters and you know showing up at 5 30 6 30 a.m and it was like we used to fight this like tooth and nail with our parents just be like fake that the alarm didn't go off and figure out like creative ways to get out of swim practice 
But now it's like, now we sign up for this and we're like, we're doing this on our own terms. It's just, it's funny how we've come full circle. <laughs> yeah. You don't need your parents like saying, no, you're going to practice. And then your coach saying, come on, we've got to get in. Let's go. You will be happier afterwards. And you're looking at me like, Corinne, you're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to go back to 2018 because you were having some really great success in 2018, even with their decision in 2019, where, okay, you could still compete in this other classification. How did that shift for the dreams in which you were envisioning for 2020? The timing of it was really ironic. Like I went to an interview, like I knew I wanted to go back to school. So that played a huge role in it. And I actually interviewed the day before I flew out to go to world championships in 2018 for my nurse anesthesia program. And I found out the day I landed that I got in after world championships. So it was kind of like, for me, it was like, this is a sign, like the ending of an era as far as like, you know, you need to shift your focus from athletics to more of a school base and like make that sacrifice and take the three-year sacrifice that it is to go back to school. And now looking back on it, like I knew I never wanted to give up athletics and triathlon fully. And I've still raced, like I went to Tokyo in 2019 and did the test event and I've done races here and there when what that have worked with my schedule. It's just a different mentality where I'm I go with a outlook of I'm going to give it my best, but I know that I'm not at my best, which is kind of hard as an athlete because you never want to show up less than your best, but you have to still keep up your world rankings. So it's like when I talk to like the team manager and everything, she's like, we still want to support you. We still want you to come out and race because you never know what's going to happen. And it's just good in general for Team USA. So it's kind of, for me, looking back now with how COVID has played out and postponing the games like i'm so grateful that i made the decision to go back to school because i can do something productive with online education now that we can't go on campus but i'm still working towards bettering myself and i would just be incredibly frustrated if i had to deal with the postponement of the games knowing that i also had postponed school so it kind of worked out for me for justifying why i decided to go back to school I love that you can say that in 2020, in August in 2020, because in August of 2018, that wasn't the email that you were sending Pete and I, right? You were pretty frustrated. You didn't, if I remember, recall correctly, I think you won three of your big races. You were at the top of the podium. And so, you know, things were looking really good for you and you had some big goals for 2020. Tell me where I'm wrong. I don't know at what point when that email came through or where my mindset was at, if I was still in denial. There's like a weird transition between accepting what the reality of, was of the classifications. You, you and, weren't accepting. <laughs> you and, well, I, I think, well, yeah, I mean, like just, just the fact that it's kind of like I had finally made it to the top, gotten beaten. From, I started doing triathlon from 2012 and didn't really figure it out until 2018. And it was like right before the biggest race of my career and was like I'm going in with the expectations of, of winning i've gone undefeated and then you get an email it's like no one cares anymore like it means nothing and it's just like i finally figured it out so that was kind of just like a total gut punch for all of our category we just didn't know how to deal with it but then they kind of like dangled this hope in front of you that was like well you're so good that we put your times up there and like really used to have a chance is that a reality or is that not a reality at the time i think i was kind of optimistic that that was still going to be something 
And then I got into school. And I think that's when my mentality probably switched when I was like, wow, this is really a full-time 12 hours a day studying in class program. And I think I probably underestimated how much time it took to do a nurse anesthesia program. So will we need to call you Dr. Barr? I will be Dr. Barr, yes, in uh, 2022, hopefully, if everything goes according to plan. (laughs) That's very cool. That's very cool. So, I mean, this obviously isn't the first time you've had, you know, the world kind of had different plans for you, right? So this is another obstacle to overcome in terms of what the committee decided to do in terms of classifications for 2020. And, you know, fortunately you had school and, and that was, you know, you can look back now and go, and then that's the thing that I find so interesting is sometimes when we're going through those really devastating blows, it's so hard to see and understand it. And then when we look back, we realize how, how well it you know worked out for us. Could you say that for yourself now, how well the last couple of years have worked out for you in terms of that? Yeah. I mean, no, like I, my thing, whenever you get that news is like, yeah, I'm incredibly frustrated, but my mantra has always been control the controllables. And like when something, yeah, you want to, you want to like complain and fight back and see if there's anything you can do but at the same time is like, once you realize it's completely out of your control, it's like, well, what are you going to do? That's going to help you move forward from that and make you a better person and, and not have you just sit there dwelling on something that you can't control. That's just wasted energy. For me, that was just like, okay, well, I guess this is like time to devote my time and energy to school and I'll uh, shoot for 2024 and, and stay in as good a shape as possible. And yeah, looking back now, I'm like, I feel terribly for all my teammates that have made the sacrifice and have moved to Colorado Springs. And it's a massive financial, physical, and mental setback for them because Olympians, as you know, don't make a ton of money. So they have to make a four-year commitment to sacrifice all those things financially, mentally, and physically. It's a massive blow for sure. Well, and that's why I wanted to circle back to what you said earlier about, you know, the last three months, because, you know, it is a four-year commitment and there's a huge financial cost of all the traveling, especially that you had to do with what you were doing, you know, the training costs, the equipment costs. It's an expensive endeavor and a lot of people don't really realize that. And then just on top of it, the amount of hours that one has to train. So it's a really tough one. Now with COVID happening... How has your mindset in controlling the controllables, how has that helped you get through this time of our life where we have this thing called COVID? I think the hardest thing for me and for people that I've seen that are are similar is like uh, not being in control and realizing that like it is completely out of your control and like having total adjustments as far as like the pools are closed and for me, like I've just gotten, I've transitioned my swim time and my gym time to more biking and running time. Really, it's just been more running time. Kind of using that as my escape to get outside. Like I'll, I'll run alone on the on the trails and try and socially distance as much as possible. And my girlfriend and I will start to, you know, in-house core workouts and total body strength kettlebell. I've been using kettlebells like crazy. So just kind of adapting, but still trying to get the same quality workouts in as much as possible. But yeah, I think what's helped keep me sane through it all is still getting, getting outside, still getting my vitamin D, still getting my workouts in and 
using that as my funnel for frustration at the same time. So that's what you can control is the workouts that you can do. And then what about racing? Yeah, racing there. I mean, as everyone knows, like all the international races, especially with triathlon, like there's been a couple of races, like we just had nationals. that was, they thought might still be able to go on and they just had to cancel it. And races have just been canceled left and right. So it's been interesting to see how the international triathlon unit has handled all that with like the world rankings and everything. And triathlon's different than some sports where, like I said, you have a 12 month rolling calendar that you have to maintain your world ranking at this point. The further this goes on, no one's going to have any races under their belt for the world ranking. So there hasn't been any races this year. I went to one race right when COVID was starting. It was the Pan Am games in March. I flew there and the night of me landing there at 3 a.m., we got an email saying that the race was canceled. So we get reimbursed from USAT based on performance and there was no race. So we didn't get reimbursed because there was no performance reimbursement. And I was Ooh. banking on that. So that was a $1,500 blow, but <laughs> that's okay. Oh, Worst things have happened. Oh, Ooh. here's the truth about what it's like to be a, an athlete. Ouch. Yeah. 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 Ouch. When we were in March, we were, we were really trying to have soul meets this summer and like hold out that vision of like, let's have soul meets. And now, you know, now here we are in August of 2020. I really don't know when we're going to be able to schedule any in-person meets. We can do obviously virtual meets, right? Where we get up and you have kids race and you submit times and that can be all done electronically. We've done that forever. But having like this one meets that you grew up with as a kid, I don't know when that's going to be able to be possible again. Yeah. It's pretty crazy to think about. I mean, just like think about like the NFL or baseball. Mm -hmm. It's like, are they ever going to have people in the stands or is this going to be just like a virtual world? Like, it's pretty mind-boggling to think about. <laughs> I turned on the television the other day, and I'm like, and baseball popped up, and I'm like, and I had heard about the cutouts, but it was so weird to see the cutouts in the stands. I'm like, wow. But, I mean, they get to play, right? So, like, right now, the way I look at our swimmers is they get to swim. At least they get to swim. While I would have loved to have them be able to race, because racing's fun, they get to swim, and... I'm in a different place than I was say back in March when I was like, no, we're going to have meets and we're going to get back to normal. And now I'm like, okay, you know, if they can swim and if my two daughters in college this year can go to practice and swim every day, that's just going to be better for their mental, emotional health and their well being. And while I would love for them to race, like I can be okay as long as they get to swim. So some ways my standards have dropped down or my expect, that's not my standards. I guess it's my expectations of, you know, during this time of COVID. Yeah, put things in perspective for sure. It's yeah. like be grateful for just being able to train. Don't even, don't even care about racing at this point. Just let me get in the water. Yeah. Are you one in a lane or two in a lane? Or because right now we're set up at Masters where it's two people in a lane and you have to go start on opposite sides of the pool and swim. We have been one per lane all summer. The exception to that was if you had a family member, you could do two. And then the county just last week on August 5th approved two per lane, but it's like what you're talking about, one on each opposite side. So we haven't, we only did that with the older kids in the last week to test it out. And then when we start our fall session, we'll do it with the younger kids. They have to come in wearing masks. They get into the pool one by one. 
they get out of the pool and then they have to go out the back door and then we have to clean everything. So yeah, yeah that's, about, that's about the same. Yeah. Sounds familiar. <laughs> One parent loved it though, because this is the first summer her daughter hasn't lost any goggles because everything just, there's not much you bring in. It all goes on your number. You come out, you grab everything. <laughs> so it simplifies some stuff. Silver lining. There you go. That's good. <laughs> And that's buying two pairs of goggles this summer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So how have you been pivoting this year with all that's going on? And, you know, I mean, you guys got hit, like, did the Houston numbers, did that really hit you hard? Because I know in the Houston area, like what we were getting in the news was like, oh my God, Houston, you know, wasn't that you guys were on fire, but the numbers and your hospital beds and stuff. Did you notice it as, I mean, you're not working in the hospital, right? So you're not a nurse No, yeah. I'm in a perfect spot for quarantine where I can, the changes for me were in-person class and now I'm at home class. So like having to transition to everything online and really it's been more of a struggle, I think, for my the faculty trying to figure out how to do online education and make that effective. But yeah, as far as me going out and about and social distancing, I'm in a perfect setup here. Where it's just like I spend 12 hours a day behind a computer and I go to the grocery store and I go for a run and that's pretty much me going out into the public. So the interesting thing with Houston was, yeah, we were in the spotlight and it did get kind of scary a couple of times. It was interesting. It kind of, it went up, it peaked and we did the the quarantine and it started coming down and then they, they opened everything up and, and then the numbers skyrocketed again. And then they realized they needed to tap the brakes again and, we're finally recovering from that second peak. They had like a three-phase plan in place here for the Texas Medical Center, which is the largest med center in the world. Phase one is kind of we're running low on ICU beds, and phase two was we're over capacity, and phase three was like, okay, we need to find supplemental places for patients with COVID. And they got to phase two, which was pretty scary. They're thinking about opening up NRG Stadium, which is the where the Texans play as a supplemental site to hold COVID patients. They never had to get to that point. And thankfully, the numbers have started to come down pretty rapidly over the last week, week and a half. So yeah, we've been watching the numbers pretty, pretty closely. All the, all the data that's coming out of the Texas Medical Center with the, with ICU beds. And I've kept in contact with my medical directors over at where I used to work in the ICU for eight years. And it's pretty scary. I mean, yeah. Like you hear about people that are young and people are all over the map, which is what's so crazy with, I guess, kind of like the flu. It's like you hear people that are young and healthy that passed away from it. It's that's, what's so bizarre about the whole thing. So how do you, with that opening, closing, right? Opening the waves, how do you emotionally handle that? Does that affect you? Or are you so down focused with school and not in it the day to day because you're not working in the ICU that, it's you're not as connected to it. I mean, I'm just making sure that I do my part, which is, you know, wearing your mask when you're going out in public and socially distancing and doing the hand hygiene and doing everything I can so that I don't contribute to the problem. I think that's my main focus is like control the controllables. I can't control all the other people and how they're reacting to it. And I can try and educate people. But other than that, it's, I think the biggest thing that people can do on an individual level is just not contribute to the problem and do what you're supposed to do and and follow the rules because it's known 
that wearing a mask and hand hygiene and all the things are going to help prevent spread. But yeah, like going through it, it was whenever the numbers were going up, yeah, it was pretty scary. I mean, not knowing like, are we going to be over capacity at hospitals? And you start seeing hospitals that are having to transfer patients out because they're at capacity and there's another hospital in the med center that might have a couple extra beds that can help absorb those extra patients. I mean, that's whenever you see that happening, you're like, wow, this is, this is reality. Like this is actually happening. So you talk about, you know, your daily routine. Do you feel socially isolated? No, (laughs) in a way, because I'm lucky I have a a quarantine buddy and my girlfriend that Mm -hmm. also has been working at home. If I was going through this, (laughs) living by myself then I would absolutely feel socially isolated but at least I get some social interaction yeah I mean other than from my previous pre-COVID life absolutely you can't just go out and hang out in large groups and do social events that you would otherwise have done pre-COVID so going to swim practice is not the same anymore going to the gym I mean they have opened some gyms going to the bars not that I'm a big person going to the bars but like just we finished finals and usually we would go out with the whole class and celebrate and that's not an option anymore. So I do, I guess I do feel socially isolated to some extent. Yeah. <laughs> feel antisocial. I feel antisocial. Well, maybe that's your thing. I mean that, you know, Pete, I don't know if Pete would say he's feeling socially isolated. Like it kind of works for him, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> he goes to some practice and he comes home and, I mean, the, probably the harder thing, listen to us talk about it, but the harder thing was when we were sheltering in place and the pools were closed. I think you saw Byerly. He he sent me a message. He's like, oh my God, I didn't think about it. Like Pete is at home that many hours a day. How is he handling it? Right. People were feeling bad for him because he was home. Like he, yeah. there was no pools to go to, right? Like they were running Zoom meetings and, and he was home and, you know, outside of the occasional run or something, there really wasn't the going outside in the beginning. So that was harder now that he's at the pool and stuff. That's enough social interaction for him. So he seems to be fine. I know for some people it's been really, really hard socially to not have those connections. Yeah, no, I think there's, I heard like interesting stat that there's more people who have died from suicide than from COVID because just like socially isolation and just worsening any underlying depression or whatever it may be. But yeah, it's, it's, not easy for sure. You got to find ways to stay sane. And it's interesting, like with my clients, whether if they're single and they're home by themselves or if they have families, like I think sometimes myself included, someone's like, I can envy the people who are single because I'm like, oh, you have space to yourself. I mean, now I do because people are at swim practice, but before we had swim practice, we were all at home. But the people who are socially by themselves, right, living by themselves, they can be like, oh, it'd be so great to have people to be with, right? So there's always the grass is greener. And what I've just come to is this is just a hard time in our lives, right? It's just different than what we've ever experienced. And so I think it's important just to recognize that it is hard and there's some obstacles and that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Test your ability to adapt because <laughs> every single day <laughs> there's a new curveball. It seems like it's been thrown at us here in 2020. So definitely <laughs> test your ability to adapt. Yeah, to be able to adapt and have flexibility and, you know, to be okay not to know, like, what's going to happen. I remember when COVID first happened and I needed to get something at Office Max and I called them 
And I said, so are you guys open? And they said, well, as of today, we are, we're considered an essential service, but tomorrow we may get closed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Check in tomorrow, call tomorrow. We're not sure. (laughs) We find out when we show up. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, so I think people are becoming a bit more flexible because, you know, what was always something you were supposed to be, now you just don't know. So you do need to kind of check in or you may show up someplace and it may be closed. But now I want to talk about travel because, you know, you've traveled a lot over the years. So are you missing traveling? Well, <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I'm actually going to Oregon tomorrow, which is. Probably not the the greatest idea, but I did have a trip planned to Norway. They got canceled, which was unfortunate, but I think those are just sacrifices you have to deal with. So So is this your first trip since COVID? Since when you went to Pan Am's and it got canceled, the race got canceled? Yes. Yeah. First trip since COVID. Yeah. So getting out there, going one foot in. Well, you can go test those waters. Yeah. Or, or I guess it's that you can test the airplane, right? So. Yeah. We got the, the HEPA filters on there now. So hopefully the, the clean air. We're going to be not staying in hotels and camping and on boats and stuff. So trying to socially distance ourselves as much as possible. Okay. And getting off the grid. So, Mark, I have a question for you. How do you deal with disappointment? Wow, it's a difficult question. How do you deal with disappointment? I guess it depends on, it's a broad spectrum. It depends on what the disappointment is. In the sports arena. In the sports arena. Setback? Well, I think for my disappointment in sports, it would have to be 2016 in Rio when I came up fourth place. And I've gone to three Paralympic Games and never medaled so that's a i thought going into 2016 i had high hopes and i was ranked top two in the world so i definitely had expectations of this was my big opportunity to come home with a medal for the first time and things didn't go well for me on race day and came out fourth place and 11 seconds from second place and six seconds from third place and got to stand on the sidelines again and watch my competitors get their medal ceremony and I think that disappointment was fueled my training moving forward for 2017 and 2018 and, and for lack of a word better word get revenge and, and redeem myself in the races that came after Rio so 2017 was kind of a fine tuning and then 2018 started podiuming more at the international races and then in 2018, everything came together and I was able to, to go undefeated. So, yeah, I would say taking disappointment and on the day-to-day training, the dog days of training, whenever you don't want to show up. Do you ever just want to quit when you have that disappointment? No. My <laughs> biggest disappointment after getting fourth place was knowing that I had to wait eight months to race again. That I had to live with that unsettling experience and I didn't get to a chance to redeem myself for for eight months until the next competition next time I was going to see these same competitors so that was never an option no are you afraid of feeling disappointed in yourself like I was never like going into I'm trying to like picture myself like the day before the race like there's obviously 
race day nerves and I think probably it's more like knowing that you're and you know my parents and everything and my family and everything they, they all travel down to make these sacrifices to travel down to race I think it's more not wanting to disappoint them than it would be to disappoint myself I mean I say that but I guess that's just the pressure I put on myself yeah, I just don't see your parents disappointed. I mean, you're going to do your best. You can, whatever the outcome will be. Yeah. So, and they'd love to go and support you and cheer you on and be a part of that. So but you may call I it think that was, <laughs> I think that was the cool part was like my parents have always showed up, right? Like they always show up to every single event throughout my life. And they've seen me not succeed in triathlon. So that the fact that when everything did click in 2018 and they were there for world championships and they got to see me, you know, they've been through it all. I think that was what made it the most special for me was like they've gone through the ebbs and flows of my success and and for lack of a better word, defeats. So that when it did click, then it was extra awesome. Well, and I think that's the thing that's really important because you really had, I mean, you've had multiple careers, right? But you've had this really long career and so often you know, people allow like, you know, a falling, I would call it a falling down moment, a disappointment, you know, things don't line up the way that you want, right? Everybody just wants the damn highlight reel. And you've got a very impressive highlight reel, but there's been a lot of heartache along the way. It's so fun, you know, <laughs> when those successes happen, it's so cool, but there's a lot of dark days in between those successes. <laughs> yeah, no, I think one of the coolest quotes I ever heard was uh, a Tour de France cyclist that had gone through injury and he was at the peak of his career and had a bad crash and everyone was kind of asking similar questions and he said you got to experience the lows to appreciate the highs and i was like that's freaking awesome like that resonates with me like and more than just sports just life in general but yeah you got to experience the lows to appreciate the highs to put it in perspective and so that whenever you do end up on top it's not just like oh this is expected it was like no i put in all this work and i've gone through the dog days and this that, and the other thing and, and now I can really enjoy this moment you know I think it's so much more fun for your parents now right they're not having to drag you out of bed to get you to Woodland at 5 30 in the morning so what that means Brad's getting up at 4 45 in the morning or something right to make that happen he gets to show up to the event now it's a lot more fun that way yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. much easier much easier <laughs> a lot less work involved on their end for sure they're just like oh great we get to use this as our vacation where's your next race they're plotting it out 12 months ahead of time perfect we'll book our flights we'll see you there good luck hope you make it like, i'm like don't book your flights i haven't qualified yet they're like what <laughs> we want vacation get I'm this like, done no. so we can go <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah they don't have to worry about your equipment you know did you lose your goggles did you forget your swimsuit like they don't have to do any of this this is all fun for them so just remember that they and i don't know if i ever told you this i was at shawl and i don't even remember what year it was it was maybe right at the start of your triathlete career it might have been like 2012 but it was when you ran that i think the new york marathon and the meet hasn't started yet so it's totally quiet and the, the meet was you know, locked down so that nobody could be on the deck. It was a closed deck. And I'm just standing there behind the blocks, you know, it's like 8.45, 15 minutes before the meet. It's kind of calm. It's the calm before the storm. And all of a sudden, who comes out of the blue is Brad Barr. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, Corinne, those people weren't going to let me on the deck. 
he said, I told them I wasn't one of those crazy swim parents, but I just needed to come talk to you. So somehow he got himself <laughs> on a closed pool deck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Like, I'm pretty sure that puts you in the category. Uh, <laughs> and he, he was so proud of you because he, I think you won the marathon. He had to tell me about it. And he's like, yeah, you know, Mark was, Marky was so tough and his stump was bleeding because he just kept pushing himself so hard. He was so proud of you. And he's been on that deck before when he was trying to make sure you had a laser for, you know, I think it was what, 2008 when you were in Beijing, right? Like stressed about that. So they've been through the ups and downs and you're very fortunate to have, you know, family who, who's willing to go that long route with you. So. Absolutely. Don't take them for granted. I might, I might have when I was an age grouper, but not anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the beauty of like having a long career, right? Because you can grow out of those things that, you know, you didn't really understand when you were younger, but can appreciate now. So that's awesome. Absolutely. So moving forward, what's your plan? So athletically, my plan is to graduate from school in 2022 and then go full throttle for Paris 2024. And hopefully every, all the COVID stuff, it just works out perfectly. It gets solved by then and everything's back to normal and it'll just be awesome for 2024 for me. So, But in the meantime, yeah, just keep on training and, and races that work out for my calendar. I'm going to try and squeeze a few in at least a couple a year and, and try and keep my world ranking up. So a lot of people right now, a lot of athletes are getting really anxious because they're not quite sure like, okay, what are the meets going to look like? How is it going to look like for this? You know, like we have a... We have kids that are going off to college and my whole thing is we're, I'm just going to stay calm. We're going to stay calm. We don't know how it's going to look, but the goal is to keep you healthy, to help you. You know, the fortunate thing I always tell them, I'm like, you don't have to figure out how to make yourself go fast. That's up to the coaches. Like that's a nice thing for, you know, the youth. And then when the opportunity, when races happen and that kind of stuff that you'll be ready to go, but they have a lot of anxiety with this unknown. Do you have any with the unknowns? I don't think I really spend that much time thinking or worrying about it, especially right now. Maybe maybe I'm just fortunate that I'm so preoccupied with school that I'm in a totally different headspace. I think I just approach every day like a, as one day at a time. I think that's the best way to look at it. And I think that's just the way I've naturally have adapted, I guess, with the, my past and everything and cancer is just like wake up and be appreciative for every single day. And whatever the new situation is that day, then you take it and figure out how to deal with it and go from there. I'm not trying to like worry about too distant future. That's probably one of my strengths and probably one of my greatest weaknesses, I guess. I'm not sure. Why do you say it's a great weakness? As far as like planning into the future, sometimes I I live too in the moment and not looking long-term just, just in that aspect. I I don't know that. I mean, great leaders. I, I work with a lot of leaders. One of the things we talk about is having a vision you don't have to know, like maybe at the first step or the next two steps, you know, Martin Luther King says, you don't have to see the whole staircase. You just need to be able to take the first step. And so a lot of times the work I do with clients is to try to get them to like, okay, where's the vision of where you want to go? And you may not know exactly, especially right now with COVID of how you're going to get them, what it's going to look like, but hold on to that vision. I mean, you have a vision, right? You're going to graduate, you're going to have your doctorate and you've got 2024 in your sights. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah, I guess I have a direction. I just don't have many points along the line that are set in stone. So it's it's a flexible vision. (laughs) So a friend of mine was the Olympic coach in 96 for track and field. And that was when in Atlanta and uh, the bombing happened. 
one of the things that Dee had said to me was when the bomb went off, the athletes who were not agile, who were not flexible, who were not adaptable, she said, you know, because they had to warm up and you know how athletes are. They had to warm up in a certain way. They had to do this precise schedule and things had all changed. The protocols had all changed. And she said, you know, look, I was at Safeway at two in the morning, just dumping stuff in shopping carts just to make sure my athletes could have food because we didn't know what was going to happen with the dining commons. And the athletes who could adapt and be agile and not have to do what they always had done, they did really well. And I think that's really important. It's not like an all or nothing, but it's, I mean, you know, the people that had that mindset going into COVID, it really rattled the world because none of us have a master plan of how to get through COVID. No, yeah, absolutely. I've seen that also with a lot of athletes where it's like, you're super type A. If, and if you're like, you know, everything has to be regimented and I have to have this meal at this time and I have to have this workout at this time. And if I don't, you know, I have to have the X amount of numbers of hours of sleep and this and the other thing. Otherwise, there's no way I'm going to have success. And I think that's a recipe for failure for sure is if you can't have that ability to adapt, like totally off the beaten path, but like heart rate variability is like, if you're healthy, like your heart can respond and adapt to stress and like you'll have beat variation and everything. It's like you take away your ability to adapt and roll with the punches and you're just, you're setting yourself up for failure. They, I mean, what do they say? It's like 90% mental and 10% physical. <laughs> I think like at that point, whenever it comes that close to race day, I think it's like 99% mental. Like you've already put in the work. It's like nothing you're going to do at that point physically is going to change your outcome that much like you can definitely screw yourself up in the head and and something like that how old are you now um turning 34 in 12 days wow and you started swimming when you were four is that right four years old yeah i got the aqua monster uh number of years in service awards still on the wall (laughs) (laughs) 30 well you know what mark i think that like your mindset right your ability to overcome disappointment and you've had a ton of obstacles in your life but you know one of the things is that people have a hard time sustaining a long-term career whether it's a professional career right where they're at a job or you know an athletic career which which just gets tough on our bodies as we age but look at you so it's pretty impressive so yeah i wouldn't say that your uh, weakness is your strength is also your weakness i mean there's a bit of it but you know your ability to have a vision and work towards it but not be so grasping and attached i think it served you well so you've had i mean you know again you're in a different sport now but it still has swimming in it and you've done lots of sports through the year so you've been an athlete for a really long time <laughs> So, well, I'm excited for you. I hope you have a great time unplugging and being in the great outdoors and then coming back with the school. And we look forward to uh, cheering you on in 2024. All right. So what'd you think? Were you able to take away nuggets? Like here's a nugget that I took and I've heard him say this before and I forgot about it, but now I'm going to steal it and put this in my little toolbox when I coach clients, but control the controllables. That's really what we have control over. There's so much that is out of our control, but we can only control the controllables. What are your controllables that you can control right now in your life? What are the things that you can do? One of the things that I'm always working with my clients on is being able to manage our mindsets, focusing on where is our brain going to and where is it 
not going to. Who are the people we're allowing squatting in our head? And remember, I did a podcast on that recently. We'll put a link in the show notes. But who are the people we're allowing to squat in our head for free? And we're creating all this extra pain and suffering inside of ourselves because we're arguing with them. We're thinking they shouldn't be doing what they're doing. So instead, I invite you, control the controllables. And the other was, I love how Mark's willing to overcome disappointment and use it to fuel him and fuel him in a way that helps him rise back up and helps him to achieve the high levels that he has achieved throughout his 30-year career as an athlete. Because so often my clients are afraid and my clients, athletes that I've coached are afraid to really put themselves out there because what if they get disappointed? And what Mark does, it doesn't stop him. He's like, okay, I use that disappointment to fuel me, to keep going, to challenge myself. And I love how he puts out that. And I'm with other high performers I've worked with is this vision of, hey, I'm going to get my degree and I'm going to go to Paris in 2024. That's the vision that he's holding on to. And I remember when he decided to make an attempt in the 2004 Paralympic Games. I mean, it wasn't a sure thing right? And there was a discussion about it and he made some changes. He wound up, at one point he left school, maybe that was 2008, but he wound up training for it, made the sacrifices in order to do it. And he made the team. And then in 2008, he paused school as undergrad, came home, he trained with my husband, you know, and that was always the goal. There's no guarantee in these goals. And that's really important. It's easy to see a highlight reel and you look at his bio, which we'll put a link in the show notes from his Team USA, right? Like he's a four-time paratriathlon world championship. He's had a gold, two silvers, and a bronze. He's a nine-time world parathon series event medalist, five golds, three silvers, one bronze, right? In 2019, Tokyo, he was the World Cup gold medalist. In 2016, he was fourth at the Paralympic Games. I mean, we're still like, wow, that's really impressive, right? So he has, and he was a two-time U.S. Paralympian in 2008 and 2004. He has this incredible highlight reel, and he shared with us some of the obstacles that he's had to overcome, some of the, his own difficulties. I will never forget when he sent us that email back in, maybe it was 2018, I can't remember the years, but he was really bummed. It was really hard. He was frustrated, right? Because he had just had a killer year. Things were looking good. And it's like, okay, you know, I'm going to get on that damn podium in 2020 right? And things shifted, but he keeps going. And that for you, my friend, is what I hope that you can take with you is that we're going to have obstacles. These obstacles are happening, not because I'm a bad person or I'm not good enough. These are just obstacles. This is part of life. And how are you going to pivot? How are you going to overcome? And the other thing that's really important, do you have the capacity today to overcome this? Or do you need to go to sleep or have a good meal and then rise back again tomorrow? And then as Mark said, he's very appreciative of every day because when he had cancer, he realized, right, not every day is a guarantee. So he's very appreciative. And so he's grateful for that day. So we all want to have that gratitude of, hey, this is today. So we're going to have obstacles. It's not because there's something wrong with you or because you're bad. This is part of life. This is just part of it. It's kind of like the messy stuff of life that we don't want to deal with, but we do. It's part of life. So let's work on accepting the obstacle. And then the other thing is to check in with ourselves and asking yourself, honestly, one, does it have to get done right now, the overcoming? Two, do I have the space to do it right now? And three, do I have the capacity? If you don't have the space to do it right now and you don't have the capacity, what do you need to get the capacity? 
You know, do you need to nourish yourself? Do you need to step back for a moment so that you can get your emotions under control and regulate yourself so that you can show up and figure it out? We do so much better. We can solve problems when we're in a better emotional state. Not like it doesn't have to be excited. It doesn't have to be like happy, joy, joy, but we can be in calm, right? We can be in place of compassion. One of my favorite feelings. So that can be a better feeling state for us to get into, to then make decisions, to then figure out how to overcome the obstacle. So remember, we all have obstacles. We can overcome them, but maybe you don't have to figure it out right now. Do you have the space to figure it out? Do you have the capacity? And if you don't have the capacity, what do you need to do to create the capacity to figure this out so that you can overcome the obstacle? And remember, it doesn't happen overnight. (laughs) What I mean, it doesn't happen overnight, overcoming the obstacle. It's not like bippity-boppity-boo and tomorrow the problem is gone. So really invite yourself to look at these falling down moments, these disappointments, these obstacles as your ability to get stronger and who you get to become. If you notice, Mark talked a lot about it and I loved it. I love this like almost 34-year-old version of himself where he kept talking about like being a better person right? It's not that we aren't good enough, but who are we evolving to be? And one of the things that I know is that I am strong and I'm a brave leader, not because my life was easy. I'm strong and I'm a brave leader because of all that I've overcome. And I never went into the situation going, oh, yippee skippy, I can't wait to do this. But just like he talked about with practice, like he's always happy afterwards, especially after those 12, 13, 14 hour nursing shifts. And he'd go in, he didn't want to swim, but he felt better afterwards or being a little kid at 5.30 in the morning, not wanting to get in and swim long course, but then he was pretty happy afterwards. Like we do feel so much better when we're on the other side of the obstacle. What sucks is when we quit and give up on ourselves and we don't overcome that obstacle. And I loved how fast when I asked Mark, do you ever think of quitting? Is quitting ever an option? It was like, no, that's like not even an option. Holy moly, his mindset is ferocious. So I hope you had some great takeaways that you can take and put into your back pocket so that you can pull on those when you need it to help you rise back up. Until next time, I'm smelling big for you. Hey there, before we go, I have a question for you. Have you subscribed to the show yet? This is an awesome opportunity for you to preserve your brain juice. I love the fact that I can subscribe to podcasts in television shows and they go straight to my iPhone or they go straight to my DVR and then I don't have to worry of, oh no, especially with television shows. Did I hit record? Is it going to be there? Or now do I have to watch it on demand and go through all the commercials? So go and hit the subscribe button. There's a link in the show notes and that will ensure you that you never miss a show and you can also save your brain juice for other things in your life. There's way more important things but you and I will still be connected because the show will be waiting for you in your phone. Go to the link in the show notes, subscribe to the show so you can automatically get all the shows to your phone. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wild.